Thank you for visiting the openword.org, where you can find a verse-by-verse exposition of almost the entire Holy Bible and other theological resources. Welcome to the next part of the series from Alan Schaefer. So let's go ahead and open in prayer. We'll get through um, the rest of Ephesians tonight and see if we can make a cut, maybe, possibly, into Philippians. Father, thanks so much for this night and for this time of study. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for an opportunity to stop and to learn and to reflect on your word in Christ's name. Amen. All right, we're in Ephesians chapter 5, and we're starting here in verse 22 on uh, the whole issue of the family. Now, this is sort of one of those passages that if you were to say anything in the world, people, of course, would freak out on this particular passage. Of course, we all understand that Paul was a male chauvinist pig and uh, a misogamist and uh, all that other stuff that uh, he would be called in modern day language. Um, but in verses 22 through 33, he discusses the body of Christ, the church, and uses the metaphor of marriage to talk about that. And uh, I think there's a lot here that we would do well to heed. Before I start, we need to understand that this is not a, uh, something you can just uh, sort of sweep under the, what they call it, the um, contextualizing rug. In a sense, you say, well, look, you know, this was written to the first century people. You know, we're, we're modern, sophisticated individuals. We, 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 we're not like those back in the New Testament times. We're more educated or whatever. So, so really this doesn't apply to us. Um, I think it, it, it does apply to us. It applies very much to us. Verse 22, wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as also Christ is the head of the church and he is the savior of the body. Um, right there is enough to really start a good debate in modern circles. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands. By the way, it says they're your own husbands, not someone else's. Your own husbands. As to... Yeah. Okay. No, not your neighbor's husband. And uh, you're supposed to do it as to the Lord. Now, now, now the problem, what, what people want to do is they want to say, well, look, you know, what, what, you, you need to understand that, uh, you know, in the church and the body of Christ, we're one big happy family. And all of those gender distinctions that you see in the Old Testament and all that, those really don't exist anymore. And there's a group today that would like to erase all gender role distinctions and just, just take a big brush and just erase them all. And uh, there's some very, there's some pretty big names in this, some of them. Um, Jill and Stuart Briscoe would lean along this line. Um, th those, that's two of the big names. I know there's some others that would lean along this way as well that would want to, boy, he's going to have that and pizza. Wow. Yeah. You ate our yeah. Um, but what they would like to do is they'd like to say in the church we get rid of all that the gender stuff now let's ask a question as far as, as spiritual privileges are concerned is there 
equality between men and women? Absolutely, there are. As far as value and worth, is there equality? Yeah, absolutely there is. You go to the Old Testament, the, the penalty for killing a woman was the same as killing a man, death. God saw both of them as, as, um, as made in his image. All right. So as far as spiritual privileges are concerned, things like that, there, there is no difference. And in fact, that's what Paul meant in Galatians chapter 3, verse 24, where it says, um, Therefore there is neither male nor female, bond nor free, Jew nor Greek. And the word there, male and female, is maleness. It's, it's speaking in terms of gender. There's no maleness, no femaleness, but we are one in Christ. In Christ, we are all one people. Just as there is no distinction between a Jew and a Gentile or a slave person and a free person, there's no difference between man and woman, spiritually speaking. However, when it comes to role, there is a difference. And that's where the Bible tells us very clearly what the roles are. And again, it has to do with role. Now, when we say that, it does not imply inferiority on either part. That's our problem today. Our problem today is we equate submission with inferiority. And that's a very bad way to understand this. It has nothing to do with that. In this church, am I inferior to our pastor, spiritually speaking? In no way. However, he has a role as the pastor of this church, there is a role that he is to, to assume, and there is a role that I assume as a member of this church, in which there are, is a dis difference. There is a distinction. But as far as, as spiritual privileges, as far as value, worth, ability, intellect, whatever, there's no difference there. It has to do with a role. And when Paul says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, he is talking about the role within a family unit. And it says there, their submission is to be as to the Lord. Now, how do you submit to the Lord? Submit. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I mean you, you can't, you can't uh, wash this away. You can't, you can't downplay what it's saying. It's saying submit. Now, here's, here's something that that you need to remember, which means it's going to be on the test. All right. Um, the word for submit here, if I remember right, see if it's in my notes. Is that hupotasso? Is that the word? Hupotasso. All right. Hupotasso. Tasso is to line up, and hupo is under. To line up under. And it's used in reference, if, if I'm not, if it's, if I, if I got the word right, it's used in reference to, for example, in the military where you have privates that line up under a corporal or whatever. There, there's no indication there that the corporal is more important or more valuable than a private, as far as a human being is concerned. Rather, within the structure of a military command structure, there is a role relationship that they have. And it tells the woman to line up under hupotasso her own husband. Now that does not mean that, let me tell you what that does not mean. It does not mean she is a doormat. It does not mean that she is a punching bag. It does not mean that she is to be abused in any way. It just means that within the, the, um, the marriage, she is to line up under her husband. It doesn't mean she can't share her opinions. 
doesn't mean she can't share her views. It, it doesn't mean that she is just a, a yes person. Rather, she's a partner in that marriage. But in the final analysis, the husband is the head of the home. Now, why is that? That's the way God made it. I mean, you know, don't argue with me. I mean, you know, really. The argument's not with me. The argument's with God. God ordained it that way because God knew that within a marriage, within any, within any kind of, uh, whether it's a marriage or whether it's a, a job or a work, you know, if everybody is totally egalitarian, you've got problems, all right? And that's one of the interesting things. There's a, a, um, there's a council on call, calling for equality in role relationships. And this is an this evangelical group that does this. And they, want, they call it egalitarianism. In fact, they would say, for example, if a husband and a wife disagree on a particular issue, and they can't reach agreement, they should seek outside arbitration. Who wants to be an arbiter in that sense? I don't. One of them's going to be mad at you. All right? They should seek outside arbitration. Now, what would the Bible say? The woman should submit to the husband, even if he's making the wrong decision. Yeah. She is, to, she is to submit to her husband. Is it because she's inferior? No. no. Um, it's because that's the way God had ordained that relationship. Submit. And the submission is supposed to be to her husband as to the Lord. In other words, the same way that she would submit to Christ, she sub should submit to her husband in that same manner, that same way. Now, is our submission to Christ supposed to be of a begrudging or a, or sort of a, no. well, if I have to, I'll do it, but I don't like it, nature? No. It should be with, with joy, with eagerness, with eagerness. All right? 4, verse 23, the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church. Now, right there, there's a huge argument with the egalitarian crowd. All right, and that, in fact, if you pick up their works, pick up their stuff, and I've read it, it all centers on this word kephale. Kephale is the Greek word for head. All right, and it says, well, what does it mean by headship? Well, what they would say, well, you got to understand, head means not head in the sense of a a role or a hierarchy, but rather head in the sense that the man is the source of the woman. Because there is a usage in the Greek language. Kephale could mean one of two things. It can mean head as we know it in the sense of the head of the organization or the head of the board or whatever. Or it could mean source. Now, if you're an egalitarian and you don't want it to mean head, what are you going to say it means? Yeah, that's called eisegesis. That means you make the Bible say what you want it to say. Well, I don't think you can do that here because it just doesn't say the husband is the head of the wife, but it goes on and says, as Christ is the head of the church. Now, is Christ just the source of the church? No. That, what's the whole message of Ephesians? Christ is the head of the church. It's not that he's the source of the church. The, the thing is, here's a very important hermeneutical point. Whenever you see a word used in a text, 
you, to understand maybe how that word is used where you got multiple meanings, look how it's used around the text. In the whole book of the rest of the book of Ephesians, they don't argue about the fact that it's saying that Christ is the head of the church in a sense of its organizational head. But then they come to here and say, well, it doesn't really mean head, it means source. Well, you can't do that. You can't make, that's the tweedledee, tweedledum approach to hermeneutics. Make the Bible say what it is you want it to say. And, and people do that. They, they, they want to twist it. That's not what it's saying. He's using the analogy of Christ, the head of the church, man is the head of the woman within the marriage relationship. And he is the savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. As the church subjects itself to Christ, so the wife should subject herself to her husband. <clears throat> now, it, let me ask you a question. Is, is, it a, is it a drudge thing to submit to Christ? No. No, it isn't. It isn't. It's not a drudge thing to submit to Christ. Why? Because he loves us. He seeks our best. You know, he's, he's, he wants the best for us. It's not a tyrant. You're not submitting to a tyrant who's got a whip. You're submitting to someone who loves us. And just as the church subjects itself to Christ, the wives should be to their own husbands in everything. Now, that's not what the world says, is it? The world says, be your own person. Don't let that turkey push you around. You know, um, the world's got everything all backwards. It's, it was fascinating. I was, I was talking to some people at work, and I, I went by, and they were, they were having this big discussion. I walked by, and they asked me, so, well, let me ask you a question. You know, have you ever told your wife no? I thought about it, man. I said, let's see. So yeah, I think there was a couple of times, and I've been married 19 years now. I think there's maybe one or two, maybe two times. One, I can't, I don't know. It's not. It was two times. And they said, "Well, how did she take it?" I said, "Well, she she went along with it." And they looked at me like, you know, I'm some kind of Neanderthal, you know. She says, "Your wife, she's she's intelligent, right?" <laughs> I said, "Yeah," you know. Um, and she let you say no to her? Yeah. And one guy said, well, if I ever told my wife no, she'd pop me in the nose. You know, kind of thing. You know. And all of them agreed that, uh, that uh, somehow our family unit, me and Donna and I, were somewhat anachronistic. We're somehow odd because we would actually have a relationship where I could say no. And they didn't understand it. But see, here's the other thing they didn't understand. In 19 years of marriage, how many times did I have to say no? Maybe twice. And it was not any major issue. I mean, it was not any earth-shattering thing. All right? They didn't see that part of it. But the very, the very idea that there, there is a woman in the world who would actually let her husband say no and would go along with it was something they couldn't understand. I asked them, I said, well, what if you told your husband he couldn't do anything? Well, you know, the, the idea is that there's, it's not, here's the thing. The women do not want equality. They want superiority. That's not, 
you gotta understand this egalitarian thing, it's not that it's equality, it's that they want authority. The feminazis, so to speak, is, is, and the Rush Limbaugh term of the word, they, they want to be able to run the things. Um, it's not equality. It's to get back, get even. And they just couldn't believe that. Well, the text here says that Jesus is the head of the church, the man is the head of the wife, and that she is to willingly, by the way, she is to willingly and voluntarily do this. It's not something to be forced on her by her husband. Now, why is this such a problem, do you think? Why is it such a problem? Yeah. Today? Why, why is it so hard for women to do verses 22 through 24? Why, why is that tough in a marriage? Because the world's telling them the opposite. That's one thing. The world tells them they're idiots. For, for because some men do not fulfill their part of the deal. They do not Yeah, that's absolutely right. Can I actually in that situation, you said earlier, that would be benefited upon the fact of uh, as he's guided or led by the Lord. Correct? All right. That'd be right or wrong. Or he just initially It does not say in verses twenty two to twenty four, wives submit to your husbands if he's doing the right thing. Okay. What if what if his wife went to church? What if what? what? What if his wife have a desire for church and he, he just totally against the church and, and, and he tells her no, should she stay home? Yes. She should be the best wife in the world to this jerk. Because she may win him. Yeah. The love is better not married jerk in the first place. That's right. But the bottom line, yeah. Here's the here's the point. Here's the point to understand. Throughout the Bible, throughout the Bible, it always focuses on our responsibility. It never says you do the right thing if they're doing the right. No, it doesn't. It doesn't know of that because there's a flip side to this. We'll get to in a minute. All right, that's the husband's to love his wife. There's that's the flip side. That's the harder side. Um, there's a flip side, and and it's, it says husbands um, love your wives if they are submissive to you. It doesn't say that. It says you're to love your wife, whether she is or not. It's always your duty to do what's right, regardless of what other people do. Now, here's a question: If her husband wants her to sin, that's drawing the line. Does the Bible say it's a sin not to go to church? No, it doesn't. It doesn't say it's a sin. Uh, did um, let me ask a question? How about Daniel? Did he go to the temple? No. And yeah, he's one of the most godly men in the Bible. Right. But he knew the Lord. Yeah, but he didn't go to church. He was a guy. But what if it was a sin to her? Because we talked about that too, where something may be a sin to you, but it's not to somebody else. She needs to realize that her responsibility 
to honor her husband supersedes her feel. I mean, if it's a clear command, absolutely she can't. But if it's not a clear command, I believe the counsel would be that her responsibility to her husband outweighs her responsibility to her conscience in that case. And again, I'm talking about a clear command. You know, I'm not talking about, you know, something that's, that's, that's arbitrary. I, you know, what if a man doesn't want his wife to give money to the church? What should she do? Shouldn't give it. Shouldn't give the money. Does God need the money? God doesn't need the money. God does not need the money. All right? God knows her heart. God knows her heart. But let me ask a question. I want you, I want to ask a question. Uh, name, name for me, name for me, three of the, t of the godliest women in the Old Testament. Sarah. Sarah was one. Yeah, you think of Ruth. Esther. I want you to think of Esther. Esther what, didn't go to the temple, right? She was basically bought by the king because she was beautiful. Yeah, that was it. She had no rights. She was. She was bought by the king because she was beautiful. And she was one of his many wives. She wasn't even his only wife. She was a many. Now, now I, want you, I want you to stop thinking about it here. I want you to stop thinking about it here. Was she a godly woman? Yes, she was. Now, why was she godly? Why is she seen as a godly woman? She was willing to lay down her life and, and her heart. It goes back to the heart issue. What was the heart? She honored the Lord. She honored her uncle. She honored her family. And she honored the king, who was a bum. You got to know that. But, but she... She's a godly woman. See, see the Bible, here, here's the point to understand, and this is where people get stuck and they, get, they, they don't like it, but the Bible speaks of my duty, not my duty if the stars are lined up right. That doesn't operate that way. The wife is to submit herself to her husband as unto the Lord. Bottom line. And provided he is not telling her to go out and to commit immorality or, or anything like that or to steal or to rob or whatever, she is, to, she is to obey him. So would it be sin then for a woman not to be submissive? Yes. I mean, it's pretty clear here what it's saying, right? Because if you're talking about sin, whether it's I don't know sin, if I agree with this or not. This, 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 you know, this is totally... Well, you're going to have to deal with this text. I mean, that's all. That's the flip side. We're not, looking at the, we're not looking at the husband now. We're looking at the wife. Would he dictate to her? Well, that's, that's the issue. We're, we'll get to the guy in a minute. We're going to beat on him in a minute. We'll beat on the man in a minute. We'll beat on him in a minute. And they should, they should, 
you know, it's, it's okay for them to discuss it with Matt, but they should tell him, say, listen, if you don't want me to go to the church, I won't go. I'll honor you. And, and here's the thing, not to honor him in the sense of nagging the poor sucker because he doesn't let her go. You know, or calling all her girlfriends to talk about the bum that she married because he's a, you know, he won't let her. She should, she should honor him. And let me tell you part of honoring. Part of honoring is not to, to smear the name of her husband or his character with her friends, with her family, or with what I call sanctified gossip. Pastor, you know, I need you to pray for my husband. He's a bum, you know. And then you lay out all this stuff about, you know, the husband that she shouldn't be doing. She should honor him. That, that's part of honoring your, your spouse. All right? And uh, that's not an easy thing to do because see, the world tells her she's crazy. Herself is telling her she's crazy. I mean, you know, she's, she's thinking, I'm nuts. You know, what's going on here? You know, but here's the thing. As unto the Lord. And it's interesting because you go over to Peter 3. It talks about the woman submitting to the husband. It talks about, that's in an evangelistic sense, that if you're married to an unsaved man, what's the best way to bring him to salvation? To be the best wife you can possibly be. That'll do more than nagging a poor guy, putting Bible verses under the pillow, you know, stuff like that. B, B1. B1. All right. Now, it says here, husbands, love your wives. Here's the flip side. Before you, okay. Willie, and then. Before you go there, explain 21 to me. Explain what? Go back to verse 21. In the church, what are we to do? That's in the church. Is it in the church? In the church, we're to submit to one another. Okay. In the marriage, it talks about the wife submitting to her husband. Okay. It's focusing in now. He's going to focus in. What Paul's doing now is he's focusing in on, on three major relationships. One is the man-woman relationship. One, the other one is the parent-child. And then he's going to talk about employer-employee. Okay. Yeah. I wondered uh, why in verse 15, why it says uh, submit. And then in chapter 6, uh, first verse says children obey. I, when, I, when I read this, I looked at the distinction. I thought it, it's uh, because the, the woman is supposed to do this for marriage. It's supposed to be voluntary submission. Uh, you know, so that uh, maybe as we go to the husband, you know, I'm getting ahead of myself. He cannot demand submission. If he, if he demands it, um, she might obey. But it's really, it's yeah. really submission. So, you know, a woman is, is supposed to submit. Yeah. Supposed to come on, you? yeah, you're getting a little bit ahead. Okay. This is the word for submit. And the word for children is hupo, hupo akuo, I think it is, which means to obey. That, that's, this is, this is non-optional. A child is to just obey. You know, it's it's not it's not an option. There's a difference between obey and submit. There's a big difference. It doesn't say for the wife to obey her husband in the sense of a child. Cannot be forced to obey. I mean, if she's supposed to do that, then it's not really submission. No, it's not. 
Okay. It's that he's bigger and uglier than she is or something. It's not that she submits. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Uh, when, when we go back to the fall of man and God's dealing out the punishments and he says, uh, and he says to Eve, uh, your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. Mm-hmm. Do you believe that has any effect on the women's liberation? Um, yeah, I think, it, I think it is. I think, I think it stems from that. Yeah, I think part, and, and I, I wasn't going to mention that, but since you brought it up, we'll have to mention it. Um, I think there's significant evidence to show that part of the curse was the gender war. That's part of the curse. Um, he told his wife that, he, he told Eve, your desire is going to be to your husband. And the word there for desire can carry the idea of desire to um, control. All right. Going to desire to control him, but he will rule over you. And I think what you have there as part of the fall is you have the gender battle. You have the war. Okay? Um, so it's something we're never going to get away from because of the fall. No, the fall, the fall has caused that. Yes, it, is, it has caused that. Because what it does, it brings out the worst in both parties. All right? Prior to the fall, did Eve submit to Adam? Prior to the fall, did Eve submit to Adam? Yeah. 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 He named her, right? Yeah. Yeah. There was, but what kind of submission was it? It was. It was. It was the. He loved her so much, and she loved him that it was a natural thing in their relationship. Wasn't even discussed. God didn't really talk yeah, about I mean, there wasn't any need to. She I mean, didn't there, decide each day whether or not she was going to submit. No. Her, yeah. Yeah. There wasn't the battle. But now we have the battle. Now we have the war. And in verse 25, it, it turns around and says, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Now, now that is extremely tough. Yeah. We, somebody else, I think you brought it up, but we just flew over what we want to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Mm-hmm. Church, that's within, that's within so the larger know, context. So much trouble in the church? Because we don't do that. You know, if, if I was running, what was that one show with, uh, uh, who's the guy playing on Hogan's Heroes? Um, you know, name the top five or whatever. What was that show? Family Feud. Family Feud. All right. If I was going to do a Family Feud, and I would say, give me the top five reasons people leave the church. Oh. Top five. What's the top five reasons people leave the church? What do you think? What's that pity? You got you got preaching. Yeah, I don't like the preaching. You know, too long. What's another one? Music. They don't get along with somebody. People. They get along people. You know, the number one re- reason people leave, that's, that's, those are on, that's on there, that's on the list. I bet you I know what number one is. Why? That's why people leave the church. Don't don't listen to this crap on, you know. Well, you know, I don't. I'm not like, like the music. They didn't get their way. Mm. That's the bottom line. They don't get their way. 
Listen, if, you, if you're not worried about getting your own way, is, it gonna bother, is the music necessarily going to bother you? No, no. Doesn't matter. Uh, if, you don't, if you're not worried about getting your own way, does it matter whether the preaching, preacher goes five minutes too long? No. There's one guy here I remember a long time ago when, when Pastor first came, Pastor Walls. It was a, it was, I think it was uh, Easter. He was going long, a little bit long. This guy, I thought he was going to have a heart attack. Literally, I thought the guy was going to fall over dead. He was so livid with rage that he would actually preach longer than he should. This guy was an usher and a deacon. I thought he was going to croak right there. You know? And you know, I'm sitting here saying, chill. Mm-hmm. Chill. See, the, I think the number one reason, number one reason people leave churches, they don't get their way. All this other stuff is fluff. All this other stuff is, you know, they, they, you know, you got to make it. I mean, you can't go and say, well, tell me, why'd you leave your own church? Well, I didn't get my own way. I'm pouting and I'm really upset about it. I mean, you're not going to tell that to people. You're going to say, well, you know, I, I, there was a doctrinal problem. I mean, you're not going to tell them you just didn't get your own way and you're a brat because you can't have, you're, you're throwing a temper tantrum, you leave the church. Man. But I think this is it. We don't get our, we don't get our, I've seen people leave this church and the bottom line, I, I hate to say it, in most cases, they didn't get their way. It didn't work out the way they wanted it. And what we need to understand is it doesn't have to be my way. It doesn't. It really doesn't. And if, and if things don't have to be your way, it's great. You don't lose sleep. You don't get upset. You don't get mad. I remember I was reading, and it was a true story. There was this one church split. Church split right down the middle. And they were trying to figure out, now what in the world went on with this church? Why in the world did it split? You know what they traced it back to? True story, I guess. One of the deacons got a smaller helping in the church meal than somebody else. What? He got a smaller piece of chicken or ham than somebody else. He didn't get his dessert the way he wanted. And that split the church. Now, now stop and think about standing for the judgment seat of Christ trying to explain that one. I mean, you know, it's silliness, folks, all right? It's silliness. It's silliness. I've had people, I've known people that have left open door, and a year later they're back here. I said, what are you doing back here? Well, you know, we went around all these other churches, you know, they're no better. We might as well just come back here. You know? Well, why'd you leave in the first place? Well, you didn't get your way. You didn't get your way. Um, it's just an observation. I think that that doesn't um, start at age 30 or 40. Uh, I think it's way back when we were raising kids. I've had the privilege of uh, teaching Sunday school, the kind of thing in this country. And I've had uh, you know, some problems sometimes, even with the uh, kids, eight-year-olds, that's the age I, I like to interact with. And um, I've seen a lot of rebellion in these eight-year-olds. No. They would, um, they, were, you know, they, would, they would talk back to you, and they wouldn't listen to you. Uh, it's like, who are you, who are you telling me this? And um, when I lived in, in Alpha, I worked at this place for two years while I was uh, attending school there. The whole two years I was there, I can count 
the turnover of people that came and worked in that place. And they left over very, according to be very petty reasons, because they, they, if they didn't like what the boss told them, they would not take it from him. They were tired of uh, this crap and they would leave. And um, that was very interesting to me. You know, well, it, kind of a, you know, cultural shock. So when when I've been when I sit in the church when people are living even over here that have been here a few months, we're just living as a That's an interesting observation. Well what what's what's wrong here? I mean uh, what's wrong is in the United States is we're told we're teaching our kids that they have they get it their way. You get it your way. And if you don't get it your way, Somebody's going to pay for it. You're going to sue them. You're going to whatever. See? You're not allowed to discipline kids in the school. You know, yeah. And unfortunately, the parents spoil the kids rotten. Seriously. And he's a, you see, there's a simple rule when I was growing up. My mom told me very early on. She said, listen, you know, if you ever get in trouble at school, you need to realize it's going to be double or bad when you get home. Oh, yeah. Now, she did not say, I'm, if you get in trouble at school, I'll go yell at the teacher because she's picking on my poor little kid. She said, you've had it. Now, there's only one exception to that, and that is in the fourth grade, I did have a teacher that was out for me. And my mom figured that out because she was over at her girlfriend's house, and they were talking, and this lady came in who did not know my mom from Adam, and she was happy because she was getting this Schaefer kid, and she was going to make life miserable for him in her classroom. And my mom's sitting there, you know, she didn't let in on it. But... Um, but uh, my, it was very simple. If I got in trouble at school, I had it when I got home. Yeah, me too. All right. Today, today if you touch my kid, I'll sue you. Right. 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 Even you if know? your kid's wrong, your parents are right. getting a lawyer and you're suing the school. Even if the kid's wrong. Or, if, you know what, if, if my daughter doesn't get on the, uh, on the cheerleading squad, I'm going to sue the school for a million dollars. Somebody ought to slap them, parents. Right. All right. We do no good. I mean, the whole point is, we didn't get our way. In the church, we are to submit to one another. And what that means is, provided I am not crossing some moral boundary, some moral line. Okay. Okay. Um, we're babysitting our neighbor kids, and uh, they, they're with us tonight. So, But um, unless there's some moral boundary crossed, or unless um, there's some gross theological error, and what I mean by that is we've decided the deity Christ is not something to fight about anymore. Um, I am to submit to one another. I'm to submit to the leadership in the church. It doesn't mean I can't tell my viewpoint, but it means I honorably submit to the authority that's put there. That's part of being a Christian, folks. Yeah. Um. It's a, it's a fact that it says Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. The church has always been instituted as a sheep, correct? Well, it's, it's the metaphor oh, is the bride of Christ. Because it burst over from inward to outward, correct? To, but, no, I just I just think it's just a, a just a metaphor there that she used I always, there. I always took it as the church as a she as a poor the woman who birthed child becomes the church. No, I don't. No, I don't. I think that's carrying it too far. It's just a metaphor. If it's the bride of Christ, 
No, I don't think it has anything to do with birth or, or anything like that. It's just, it's just what, what, here's the point. Your marriage, I think you're pushing it too far, though, because the Bible doesn't, get, doesn't say that. It doesn't use that sense when it's talking about the church. The thing is, my marriage is supposed to be reflective of how Christ treats the church. How Christ treats the church should reflect in my marriage. And what he's saying here, you know, getting, back, getting on to verse 25, husbands, love your wives. I'm to love my wife as Christ loved the church. And how did he love the church? Now, here's the question. Does the church always love Christ? No, it doesn't. But he's, he loves us. See, here's, it goes back to this duty. I am to love my wife whether she submits to me or not, whether she cooks dinner for me or not, whether she even loves me or not. I'm to love her. That's my duty. And you don't love her even though she don't love you. What's it say? I, I don't know what said, but... No, no, don't give me that stuff. Don't give me that. What's it say? Because, listen, I mean, I'm, I'm being realistic. I'm being realistic. Because it'll be hard for a man or woman to live in a, in a house and ain't no love in there. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It'll be very yeah. hard. But what's the... But, so you're going to be miserable. So a couple people... What does the Bible yeah, speaks... I'm just saying what it's saying. Right. You get there and say, well, you know, I'm going to leave because my wife doesn't love me anymore. Yeah, I'm out of here, you know. You can't do that. I know it's written, but it's something different, but that's all. Yeah. The scripture says that I am to love my wife as Christ loved the church. Because we do have Christians getting divorced. Mm -hmm. You know, even preachers getting divorced because mm -hmm. some of their wives, you know, she just say, all right, give up. I can't do no more. And mm -hmm. daughter, I was like, especially mm -hmm. when it comes out to a, I've seen pastor's wife just like, I can't take it, you know. Yeah. It's too hard being a first lady or a preacher's wife. Maybe it's a first lady? You know, the Bible I, talks. I could be wrong, but if it were me, I would interpret that as, like, say, a marriage after 30 years and they're out of love. All right, maybe separate, whatever. They're still married, and that's yeah. the way it should be. That's the way they're it is. They're still married. They don't get a divorce. The Bible speaks, the Bible always speaks of my duty. Right, duty. All right, whether I feel like it or not. The problem today is we're told we do our duty as long as we feel like it. And that's the problem. That's the root of the problem. All right, and, and, and now stop and think about this a minute. If, if, if you are a woman and you're married to a man who loves you, as Christ loved the church, is submission an issue? That's automatic. It's not. A, it's not an issue. Let me ask you a question: If you're married to a woman who loves you and submits to you as as the church submits to Christ, are you going to take advantage of that? No. I mean, I can, I, can, I can honestly tell you with a straight face, and I don't have to worry about the, getting struck dead by lightning, that Don and I have never had an argument, a major argument. 
Never. I like the way you put that. We never had a major. I mean, we've argued about a few things yeah, here, now, but I'm not talking about you know where I get I get stuff thrown at me. You know, or no, where I, she has never thrown anything. I've never hit her. We've never we've never even come close. The closest time we ever came was when she was on some kind of medication that that freaked her out. It was some kind that she was taking it for something, and it just it was not her. I mean, it was it was some medical. She got off that medicine. She came back and she was fine. I mean, it was just, it was a seriously uh, a, a medical problem at that point. Um, and we got her off of that stuff quick because it was not her. <laughs> you know, I'd walk in the door and she'd break down crying. And that's not Donna. That's just not her. So so when she got off that, she was fine again, you know. So she'd see you and she crying. Anything. <laughs> anything. Literally anything. It was, it was just, I don't know what it was. But um, we've never had, we've never, we've never really, we've never had an argument. So I don't relate to people, you know, they're they're arguing with their spouses and fighting and yelling. I've never, I don't, I've never yelled at her. You know, um, you know, I got the perfect wife. You know, and um, and on top of that, and and you know, you can ask her for yourself. You don't need to take my word for it. But, you know, she, she's probably one of the happiest people you'll ever meet. She's always got a smile on her face. And, uh, you know, I told you about the uh, teeter kids that came over trying to figure out if she really sinned or not. I mean, that's the kind of person she is, you know. And, and I, you know, I want to say that I'm what I am because of her. You know, but she's what she is because of me. And, I, you know, I look at this, this past year, I don't have any problem with it. Because I've never, I've never had to assert, I've really never had to assert my authority in the house. Really, I've never had to really do that. Because I have her best interests at heart. And if I have her best interests at heart. Mm -hmm. And see, that's the key. You know, if, you, if you love your wife and have her best interests at heart, you're going to listen to her. You're going to value her opinion. You're going to treat her with respect. And see, that's part of loving your wife. If you love your wife as Christ loved the church, are you gonna are you gonna humiliate her publicly? No, you're not. When a man is humiliating his wife publicly, there's some there's some problems there. I want you to know, I told my wife, I'm getting really tired of bologna sandwiches. You know, it sure would be nice to have a tuna fish or an egg salad or something. Very next day, she had a tuna fish sandwich for me, and the very next day, she had egg salad sandwich. My wife loved it, yeah. and I loved my wife. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm taking egg for breakfast, man. That's good. That's good. Yeah. You know, good. People think that you've got to spend all sorts of money to yeah. tell somebody you love them. My wife gets a little thing of flour for me on it. That makes her day. It makes her week. It makes her month. But it's little things like that that say, I love you. Yeah. It's not buying all the stuff. You know? Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, especially with your fingers on. Yeah. Just help it out. See, Donna and I have this understanding whatever I spend on golf, she spends on clothes. <laughs> so she gets a lot of clothes. All right. She gets a lot of clothes. But no, I mean, seriously, I, I think it's like Don said, it's those little things. And you're in your home. You know, one of the interesting things, I, I kid, um, Donna likes baking. 
Well, I don't eat baked stuff a lot. Really, I don't. I mean, you know, I'll eat a piece of pie once in a blue moon, you know, or something like that. But she's always, so I take them to work and give them away. But she really doesn't know that. Because she thinks she's making them off for me, and I'm eating them off. Now, I eat some of them, all right, but I don't eat all of them. You know, she makes a dozen blueberry muffins. Who's going to eat a dozen blueberry? Yeah, she knows I give some stuff away. Yeah, I do. I eat, I eat some of it. I do. I don't eat all of it, I'll tell you that. You know how you never had a fight? But, you know, part of it, and it's interesting because she'll make some dessert that's interesting or some, some like dinner that's interesting. You know what I mean by interesting, guys? It's palatable, but, you know, it's not on your top ten favorite dishes. And she'll say, you know, how was that? And I say, oh, that's pretty good. So I get the next five days in a row, you know. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but but we but it's those kind of things you know you treat your wife with respect and love and there's no problem with her submission and if a, if a woman is married to some guy that would die for her and see that's what it means by how Christ loved the church he would die for the church she's not going to have a problem lining up under the authority of a man who loves her so much he would die for her. And, and the point here is this, listen, this is a model to the, to the world. When the world looks in at the church, they should see stable families. They should see men that love their wives as Christ loved the church. They should see women that love their, their husbands. Now why is that? Well, the answer is in Titus chapter 2. Yeah. Well, in Titus chapter 2, it talks about the reason for this. He says, uh, But as for you, Timothy, I want you to speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine, healthy teaching. And what is that? That the older men be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, and love and patience. The older men would be the elderly in the church, the, the, the retired folk, you know, the 55, 60, 70 year olds. They're to be grave. What's it mean? They're to be serious about life. It's not that they're a bunch of jokesters. Doesn't mean you can't have fun, doesn't mean you can't laugh. But their, their general demeanor should life towards life should be one of seriousness. The older women also, in the same manner as the men, the older women are to have that same, that same attitude, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanders. Ooh, what's that mean, not slanders? Yeah, what's the major problem of women? They like to talk. Because women are relational by nature. They like to talk and, you know. And uh, not given to much wine. In other words, they're not to be drunkards. Okay. And uh, teachers of good things. What good things are they to teach? Well, verse 4, that they admonish. What, it means to, what, what does the word admonish mean? To train and warn. It, it's a very serious training, warning, admonishing. You know, keep at it. The young women, who are those? Well, those are the ones with kids. The older women are those whose children have left the home. The younger women are those who have children at home. Raising kids, that they should what? Well, love their husbands and love their children to be discreet, chaste, 
homemakers. Wow, that really freaked the feminazis out. Jesus. Good. Obedient to their own husbands. They just had a heart attack now. <laughs> and why is that? Why, why, why are they to teach the younger women to do all of this stuff? That the word of God be not blasphemed. What does it mean to blaspheme the word of God? Make fun of it. Make light of it. Speak negatively of it. Yeah, you holy rollers talk about love, and I like your your home is a mess. Don't talk to me about love. And then in verse six, he said, "Also in the same manner as you're exhorting." Now you've got the older men, and older women, and younger women. Now what? Do, now who's left? Well, the younger men. To be sober-minded in all things, showing yourself a pattern of good works. In doctrine, showing integrity, reverence, and corruptibility, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that one who is an opponent may be ashamed, having nothing evil to say of you. Young men are to be an example, to be disciplined. The key word there is discipline and self-control. Because young men are, you know, you know, they like to go out and have fun and partying and things. They're to be controlled. Um, integrity, reverence, incorruptibility. And then it says here, likewise, in verse 9, I want bond servants to be obedient to their own masters. Um, and you, can, you can substitute employee, employer. Employees, I want you to be subject to your employers. To be well-pleasing in all things, not answering back, no, not sassing your employer, not pilfering, that's stealing, but showing good fidelity. How do you steal from your employer? How can you do that? Write email messages while you're supposed to be doing something. Mm -hmm. Steal, steal things. You know. Now let me now let me tell you this. Uh, true confessions. Your your um, test tonight. I ran off at work. You're guilty, huh? But your job. You have, you have your boss to be. But my boss knows. Right. You completed your job. Today. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, it's not like he says you're not allowed to copy anything. We are allowed to copy. Now, you know, if I go, you know, make books and stuff like that, that's, that's, go, that's a little bit overboard, you know. You know. And also, quite honestly, I put in more time than I am required to put in, so I can make up for that. The question is, are you doing your job? Are you doing your job? All right. Um, and it says, showing good fidelity that they may, and this is interesting, adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. Uh, what do you mean by adorn? What do you think that means? To make it attractive, to show it off. For, by, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. I think this is the point that Paul's making to Titus here. He says, within the church, within the home, within the community, within your relationships, you are to do this so that the word of God is not blasphemed and that you would adorn the teaching of God our Savior, who is the Savior of all men. Yeah. As long as they're elect. No, it's... But the whole point there is this. My relationship at work, my relationship with my wife is a direct 
window into my or a directly proportional to the power or the influence I'll have on the lost. And if you want to reach the lost for Christ and you are a bum, it's not going to be very effective. I remember a friend of mine asking me to pray for him. He's witnessing to his lawyer. I said, what lawyer? Well, you know, I haven't paid my bills and I'm behind. I'm getting sued. I think, wow, that's a good testimony. Did you pray for him? No. Um, I told him, he probably, I felt like saying, you know, you should, why don't you tell him you're a Buddhist, you know? Don't tell him you're a Christian. It's not adorning the doctrine of God. If you are a bum at work, if you're known for laziness on the job and just skating by, getting the bare minimum done to keep your job, how do you expect to be a testimony for Christ? If your home is in shambles, your kids are fighting and you and your wife are at each other's throats, how do you expect to tell people that Christ can change a life? It can't. The point is, my relationships with my family, my relationships on the job, my relationships with other people are directly proportional, are going to be directly proportional to what influence I have. And I want to have a proper influence. Did you order that pizza? You know how to run that newfangled thing? Yeah. Oh, yeah. You might as well let them know we have coupons and that. And, okay. okay. Uh, We'll chip in. But um, the whole point here in Titus, and, and I think going back here to Ephesians, because that's what Paul's hinting on here, is that if you want the world to see what Christ is like, they should be able to look at your family. They should be able to look at you. Is divorce an option? I want you to stop and think about this. As a Christian, is divorce an option for you? Why? Why is it not an option? Well, God hates divorce. That's one thing. Because it's a. You make God look bad. You make God look bad. Do we think about that? No. No, we think about what we want. Yeah, we want. I think, you know, quite honestly, I think you'll. I'll tell you, you know, I, I made a, a step forward in my spiritual life when I understood, and I'm still getting there, I haven't made it yet, that, that sin is not as much of disobeying a rule. I mean, that's bad, you know, disobey a rule. But sin makes God look bad. And uh, the reason divorce is not an option for me is if I want to be a testimony to my world, they should be able to see it in my family. And divorce is not an option. I have a responsibility. And see, here's the thing. That responsibility extends outside of myself. It's not because I get what I want out of marriage. It's not because Donna does everything I want her to, or she's everything I want her to be, or anything. It has nothing to do with that. It has to do with I want the world to see what Christ can do in a home. I have a responsibility for that. And that, that'll change the way you treat other people. That'll change the way, the dynamic of your home. You make God look bad. When the world looks at a church and says, well, the divorce rate is, you know, one out of three marriages in the world, and it's one out of three in the church, what does that say about Christ? He really doesn't make any difference. 
You should see a difference. And it says here, he gave himself for it. Now, how did Christ give himself for the church? He died for it. That he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. Now, that's fascinating right there. See what it's saying here? He's saying the man is to love his wife as Christ loved the church. And how did he love the church? He died for it. To do what? To present it to himself, a glorious church having no spot or wrinkle. Did Christ die for the church in order for the church to just go out and be the same old, same old? No. He died to sanctify it. Now, let me ask a question. In a marriage relationship, the husband should have that same responsibility to his wife, not to cause her to sin. I should want Donna to be the godliest woman she could be because I don't want her to, to sin. I don't want her to do that. I want her to be holy. I want her to be godly. So I'm not going to put her in a spot where she is tempted. Or I'm not going to egg her. Here's the other thing. I'm not going to egg her on. So that she, you know, you know how to do that to your wives, guys. And women, you know how to do that. You know how to push your spouse to the point where you know, they pop a cork or something like that. Now, if you really love them, you're not going to push them to that point. I remember a friend I had a long time ago. His marriage lasted nine weeks. Did he cry when he saw you too? No, he didn't cry when he saw me. But uh, what he did is he knew how to push the button of his wife to make her lividly angry. And he had fun doing it. That's what I don't understand. But there's a problem there. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. In verse 20 it says, So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own body. He who loves his wife loves himself. And the whole point there is that um, you don't see a guy hating his own body, right? I mean, look at all the stuff you do for it. Well, in the same way the husband is to love his wife as himself as his own body because she is for no one ever hated his own flesh but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church here's a really interesting word nourish and cherish you take care of your body you nourish it you feed it now let me ask a question you say well I hate my body so I'm going to feed it uh, burnt toast and poached eggs oh man <laughs> not if there's a filet mignon around I don't Right? How do you feed yourself? Well, not bologna sandwiches. You know, you want tuna or what? The whole point is, the whole point is, you know, you don't. I mean, you know, if you, if you go to a, if you go out to a meal where somebody else is buying, you just say, now what's the thing I hate the most on the menu? I I hate myself. I hate my body. So I'm gonna get the thing I hate the worst and eat it. No, you just get everything. I don't. If you do do that, but I don't do that. You know. No, I just take I find what I want to eat. You know, I want to nourish and cherish my body. And the same way the husband is to nourish and cherish his wife, he is to to delight in doing those things that please her. 
and to bring out the best in her. By the way, I want to ask a mathematical question. In ver we have verse 22, 23, and 24. Who's that talking to? 23 and 24. Who's it talking to? You got three verses on the wife. How many verses you got on the husband? Think about it. I get sick and tired of preachers who spend five weeks talking about 22 through 24 and one week talking about 25 through 33. We got the bigger job, guys. We've got the bigger job. The story goes of a preacher who liked to preach on hell, fire, and damnation. And his deacon board got a little tired of listening to him preach on it all the time. So they went to him and said, you know, we, we're tired of the hell, fire, and damnation. Why don't you just preach on love? You know, something positive. So he did. He preached on um, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength. Then the next Sunday was love thy neighbors thyself. And then he uh, preached on love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. And then he finally said, preached on husbands love your wives. <laughs> After which the board went to him and said, you know, we just as soon you go back and preach on hell, fire, and damnation. Yeah. The point is, guys, we're commanded to do this. And it's interesting because somebody said they can tell a lot about a man by looking at his wife. Look at your wife. My dad, my dad always told me. The whole the whole point is you can tell you tell a lot about because because it's gonna be seen in his family and his wife. Now I want I want you just so you understand something. Donna makes me look a lot better than I am. Well, I, I mean that. She makes me look good. But part of what she is is because I have tried as best as I can to love her the way I should love her. And uh, it says here to love her and nourish her and cherish her. And, and it says, verse 30, we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. It's talking about the 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 closeness in the marriage relationship there that it's one body almost. The closeness. Um, the most important person in the world you should be your wife. Your wife. Wife. Verse 31, for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall be one flesh. What's that quote from? Genesis. Leave, cleave, and I heard some say, leave your 
parents, cleave to your wife and weave a new relationship. Leave, cleave, and weave. Now, most of the time, it's leave, cleave, and grieve. All right? It's not to be that way. It's like two women that were t talking after a long, not knowing each other a long time, and they were chums in high school, and they finally met up, and they were older, and uh, they said, well, yeah, how's your husband? One said, well, my husband's a saint. He says, oh, that's, said, oh, my husband's still alive. No. <laughs> you got to be a Catholic to appreciate that humor. But uh, the, the whole point there is you leave your father and mother. I'm when, just going to apologize to you for my awful sense of humor. Yeah, that's bad. But, but, but a man, now here's the thing. Nothing will cause more trouble in a home than a man and his wife living with his parents. You got to get out of there. Got to get away. All right, it doesn't work well. Um, leave your father and mother, and that means you leave. You leave the the relationship that you had as parent-child because now you have a new unit, your wife. And by the way, the woman needs to leave her mom. Now, I have to say that's one thing about Donna that she has done very well. She's left her mom in the sense that, you know, she loves her mom, she honors her mom, but she's married to me, not her mom. All right. Um, and as wonderful as her mother is, she, she's welcome to give advice, but she can't run your life. You're to leave your father and your mother and to love your wife. And what that means there is, is that if you have to choose between pleasing your parents and pleasing your wife, what is the choice? Your wife and the vice versa. And then he says, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each of one of you in particular so love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Husbands, you love your wives as Christ loved the church and as you love yourself. And he says, Woman, women, respect your husband. A, a woman should show respect to her husband. And when a woman is disrespectful, you know, you got to understand, I... I uh, I taught a divorce class for years. And I can tell you that there are reasons that some of these women were divorced. And one of the major reasons were that they had no respect. Yeah. Now, part of, now, as a man, you need to deserve the respect. But, but that, that's, that's your side. But the wife, the wife is to respect her husband. One of the interesting things is, um, you know, I, I keep talking about going through my family history and that, and it's interesting how many skeletons you dig up in the closets, you know, if you're not careful. But one thing that I found that's very fascinating is that there were some marriages in the family line that today they would have been long divorced and gone. And they stuck it out. Because, see, it wasn't an option. It wasn't an option. Um, you just didn't go from spouse to spouse and wife to wife and husband to husband. No, you stuck it out. And today, we just, you know, if you don't like that one, get somebody else. 
Today we're actually going to marriage with the option. Yeah. See, see, here's here's part of the problem. I remember when Donna and I got married. I I purposed. I remember this. That this is a, this. Look, buddy, you're stuck now. Divorce is not even an option to be even considered. Someone asked Chuck Swindoll that. I said, do you ever consider divorce? He said, no, murder, but not divorce. <laughs> um, and, and it, but, but divorce was never an option. And Don has never approached our marriage with, well, you know, if this doesn't work out, we'll just divorce and get somebody else. No. And, and the thing is, is I, I can say that if you do it the book's way, marriage is a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful thing. And, and I told you, I remember playing golf with Pastor and telling him, I said, you know, I know you do a lot of marriage counseling that. And, you know, one of the questions marriage counselors ask is if you could change something about your spouse, what would it be? And I said, if I was after that, asked that, I could honestly say I wouldn't change a thing because I'd make her worse than she is. Anything I would want to change would just change your spouse. Yeah, if there's one thing, if you ask me, what would you change about Don if you could? I wouldn't change anything because anything I would change would make her worse than she is. I mean, there's no character flaw. There's, I mean, there's nothing that I would change about her. You know? Um, and that, it, you know, that's, you see, I don't relate to people with these marriage problems. I'd never make a good marriage counselor because I, I just don't relate. Mm -hmm. And I have to say that part of it is, is that Don and I have tried as best as we could to marriage, to model our marriage like this. We're not perfect. Don't sit here and think, you know, I'm saying I'm perfect or anything like that. I'm not. I'm not. But we've, and it's paid off. It's, it's, it's paid off. Do you feel that you're evenly yoked? Do you feel that you're evenly yoked? Yeah. Tell a lot of people with it. Well, it's it's not even a lot of things in. I mean, you know. Donna, I don't. Donna likes chick flicks. Chick flicks. A chick flick. I thought you were No, a chick flick. You know, is about you know you know some some huggy huggy story or you know something like that. You know. I go, I go to, I go to sleep. I mean, the most appropriate commercial on TV that I really relate to is that I forget what the commercial is, but you know they're watching that. And the woman's just bawling her eyes out. And the guy's, you know, trying to nod off, you know, because they're hugging on the deck of the ship, you know, talking about their eternal love. And the next thing you see this torpedo coming at this ship, and it's going to blow the ship up. And the guy's, you know, he's he's looking at this thing and. The woman, she, she's out of it. You know, that's we like different shows. Oh, okay. You Star Trek, right? I like Star Trek. Things blowing up, you know, stuff like that. She likes, you know, chick flicks, you know, huggy, you know, that kind of stuff. That's oh, all right. Goodness. She watched. So we have two TVs. She watches her movies. I watch mine. <laughs> Donna doesn't play golf. I do. You know, you know, it's not that you have everything in common, but it's that. But but it's that. It's that you have a commitment to the relationship, a love for one another. Yeah, that's the important thing, you know. That's what really makes it. That's what really makes it great. Um, and then in verse six, we'll, we'll just keep going to the end of the tape here. 
You going to get ready for the pizza run? Need any money? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, bring some pot back. We'll split the cost. Um, Pepsi, if you could, or Pepsi. What do people want? Yeah, Pepsi's fine. If you could snag a few, if you could snag a few cups, if you could snag a few cups. Yeah, sometimes. Um, yeah, that'd be good. Um, in verse one of chapter six, it turns now to children. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Why should you obey your parents? It's the right thing to do. Does that mean to obey them when they're reasonable? When they're unreasonable, obey them. Obey your parents. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise. Where did that come from? Ten Commandments. Honor your father and mother. I'll tell you what, what, what really will send me into orbit is children who are disrespectful with their parents. And they, they, the brats come out come Christmas time. I can't stand going into stores and having screaming kids, you know, because they can't have Meteor Man or whatever it is. It's a nailless craze and stuff like that. Um, you're to honor your parents. You're to love them and, and you're to obey them. Now, what does it mean to obey? Does it mean you finally talked into it? No. Um, my boss has six kids. They do, they do homeschooling. And they're wonderful kids. I mean, they're really good kids. But, but there's a very simple rule at home. He'll ask them once. If he has to ask them twice, they're not going to like it. That's just the way it is. And so they've learned to do it the first time. And he says, you know, the little kids, you know, maybe they don't understand, you know, they're little babies or whatever. We might ask them a couple times. But the older kids, if I have to ask them twice, it's not a happy moment. What is the age of understanding? Well, you know, six, seven, eight years old when they start to understand. It's, it's different for different kids. You know, most of them never understand. But he was relating last week, I guess. You know, he had to go do some stuff. And he came home at 9.15 before he came into work. He was running late that day. And they weren't expecting him. And they hadn't done what he wanted them to do. And it was not a happy moment for them. I told him, I said, that shows sort of the doctrine of the imminency, right? You know, like the imminent return of Christ. He can come back at any time, so you've got to be ready. Well, they weren't ready. All right? And, uh, but they love him. I mean, you know, you know, they're not, they're, these are not dis malformed kids. They, they understand that they need to obey. You know, it's, it's funny you say they're not, you know, dysfunctional children. It seems like the less, I mean, I know this is true from God's standpoint, but I wish teachers would figure it out. The less kids are disciplined, the less they feel loved, and the worse they become. Yeah. And my parents disciplined me. I love my parents. They have a great relationship. But I did not backstop anybody. I did not. My dad didn't have to spank me because he looked at me and he was angry. I would cry because I wanted him to be happy with me. 
And you and I are a lot alike. I mean, if my mother was here, and she would probably listen to this tape, so she can she can agree with me. All right, I got spanked more for my brothers than I did for me. Really, you know, I was guilty by association a lot of times. Um, yeah, well, you, yeah, you deserve it, you know. Um, but but I I I used I used to get. I used to get spanked for my kid, for my brothers. You know, they misbehave, and I was just one. You know, I was just there, and I, I got along with them. You know, but uh, my dad and mom disciplined me, and I, I don't hate them for it. I love the story. It's one of the, it's one of the best stories I ever heard. James Dobson related it about um, he had two stories I just thought were hilarious that that really that really point this this whole thing out. It's about a friend of I guess it was a friend of his that um, um, they were out eating dinner. I think it was a friend or somebody he knew or, or he heard somebody talk. I don't exactly know the context. But they were out to dinner and his son was just acting up, just cutting a shine, you know, while they're trying to eat dinner, you know, just, you know how that goes when you have kids in a restaurant sometimes. And by the way, you need to train your kids to, to sit in a restaurant, shut up and not flick food and, you know, that stuff. Um, but this kid was just being a terror, and finally it was, you know, it was, it was the end. It crossed the line, and the father grabbed his young son and picked him up and stormed out the, the door of the restaurant, went out the car, and proceeded to spank the living daylights out of the kid. Well, some feminazi saw him going out, and uh, she followed the father out there, and she started yelling at this father for spanking his kid. You know, I'm going to call the police on you. All this stuff. And this kid, you know, he's bawling his eyes out, and he looks up at his dad and says, Dad, what's wrong with that woman? <laughs> you know? <laughs> and it's like, he knew what he deserved. I mean, it was no secret. You know, what's wrong with that lady? All the rest of the people in the restaurant are really happy today. Yeah. They probably in fact, there are some cases where I would volunteer to spank some of the kids, you know. You need somebody to take care of that? I'll take care of him. Um, but... Uh, you know, the, it, it goes show, that child knew he crossed the line. And the other story I heard was just, I, had, I was just laughing my eyes till I teared, was uh, he had a professional friend of his that um, had, had, a, had a young boy. He was about eight or nine years old. He needed some teeth work done. And this kid was just a holy terror, I guess. I mean, his mother just, she was just, held hostage by this kid. And um, he knew this kid was a real terror and he had to refer him to get some teeth work done. And he said, you know, if I refer him to any of my good doctor friends, you know, they'll hate me the rest of my life, you know, because this kid's just horrible. So, but he knew this one old guy that, you know, had a way with kids, so he referred the kid there. So he went in to get his teeth done and he put him in the chair and the doctor said, okay, open your mouth. And the kid said, no. Doc says, son, you know, I need to do work on your teeth. You know, you need to open mouth. No. And he somewhat firmly told him, son, you know, you need to open your mouth so I can get these teeth worked. And I said, if I open my mouth and you make me, I'm going to take all my clothes off. He said, okay. <laughs> so the kid stripped down, nothing on, you know. Sat in a chair, opened his mouth, got all the work, teeth worked on. I mean, gold is good as gold. Got all done. Kids ready to go. He said, Can I have my clothes? I said, No. <laughs> so you have to come back tomorrow and get them. 
It's a true, sta- it's a true story. So you can imagine this little kid walking out, <laughs> stark naked, to the to the receptionary, and his mom's there. You know, we, you know, geez, I'll beat. You know. Mom took him down the elevator out to the parking lot, stark naked, into the car, went home. <laughs> Next day, she comes back to this doctor, and you know, the nurse says, you know, Mrs. So-and-so is here. And he's like, good, you know, I've had it now. Spot with a lawyer. She come in and she 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 was she was almost crying. She said, "You, she, I can't thank you enough for what you did last yesterday." She said, "For the last five years, my son has threatened me every time he didn't get his way that he was going to take his clothes off, <laughs> and you're the first person that's called his bluff, and he's a different kid." <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you need to understand that that in in the home he's eight or nine. Within the home within the home that child is to obey and honor his parent. And it's your respon let me put it this way, it's your responsibility as a parent to ensure that he does. If not, you're going to raise a juvenile delinquent. See, it doesn't hurt your kids to understand they don't get it their way all of the time. You know, that's that's the way it is. You don't get your way. But that's not fair. Well, you know, life isn't fair either. Life isn't fair either. It's, And I, I think part of it, and John MacArthur talked about this, one of his one of his messages, he said part of the whole problem I think today is that um, we have spoiled kids because look at the families today. You have everything. Now when I was growing up, for, the, for most of my growing up years, we didn't have a television. And, and I'm not warped. I, I, I am okay. We did not have TV. I didn't get things my way. Come Christmas time, I was happy to get one gift from my mom and dad. Today, you know, you got 20, 30, 40 of these things, you know, packed up under, you know. They're, they're str- yeah, the credit card bill comes due and they got to pay this huge thing. See, see, when I was growing up, it was a simple thing. If there was no money, there was no presents. Today, you know, we'll charge it. And what you do is you have spoiled, spoiled kids. And the other thing is, see, when I was growing up, you know, I, I had... You know, in, in some families, you competed for things in the sense that you didn't have enough to go around. So if supper time came along and, and one kid said, you know, I don't like what we have here, the other one would say, well, that's great, I have more, give me a double helping, I'll, get, I'll take his piece. Yeah. You know, you ate what you got, sure. which, by the way, doesn't warp you, all right? Today, you know, if, uh, if mom doesn't cook what the kids want, you know, they, they get mad, they go down to McDonald's or go buy, yeah. you know, whatever. Well, see, when I, and she's cooking for five or six, you know, it's like a short order cook. She comes in, okay, what do you want? You know, here's the menu, pick. You know, when I was growing up, it wasn't that way. You, you ate what was there, and, or you didn't eat. And I, you know, I didn't starve to death. I'm still alive. I'm fine. But what we've done today is we've trained kids that they get what they want. And then we wonder why they're selfish. The Bible says we are to train up our child and the way he should or she should go. What is good design? 
Proverbs 23, verse 6, I think. I think it's Proverbs 23. But, but you know, you know and, and I have to admit this, you know, I, I made, I, Donna likes watching kids, and I only told her there's only one rule that I have for her watching any kid. She's got to control them. If she can't control them, she can't watch them. Simple as that. If you have a kid that's uncontrollable, we won't be babysitting for you. You can find somebody else to do that. Because they need to obey. The child is to obey and honor their parents because it is right and the Lord God commanded it. Does that mean you're babysitting too? That's who the parents left Yeah. If I tell that child, you, you listen to so-and-so. See, that was a simple rule when I was growing up. See, when I was growing up, it was, it was okay for a neighbor lady to spank me if I was out of line. Today they get sued. All right. Um, and then it says here, and we'll stop with verse 4 and eat our stuff and pick up. And it says, and you fathers do not provoke your children to wrath. What does that mean? That's the flip side. See, the duty of the child is to obey their parents, but the duty of the parent is not to be so oppressive to their kids that it crushes their spirit. It's one thing to break the will of a child. It's another thing to crush the will of a child. And fathers, you're not to provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Don't be so stern and harsh and unbending that there's no room for breathing for them. And that's the flip side. You can be so stern and so hard and so tough that you crush them. And that's a balance that you need to, to attain. Well, everybody wants to eat, so we're going to stop here, have our pizza, and then we'll, we'll pick up. We'll get through Ephesians tonight. I can be talked into pizza again. That was good pizza, actually. Yeah, it's no big problem at all. Thank you, Mr. Schaefer. You think I'm going to eat all that stuff? Forget it. No. Appreciate it. Um, no, I can't. You know what? I'm not a big eater, believe it or not. I mean, I, I will go to a restaurant and, and always have some leftovers. I just, I'm just not a big eater. You just eat all day. No, I'm not a big eater, period. Yeah, which is probably good. Um, anyways, then I, on verse 3 here, um, just, just to, to, you know, we could talk a lot more on this whole idea of parent-child relationship and, and that, but maybe something here, just some ideas on how parents exasperate their children. Number one, uh, be unreasonable. Parents load their children with too many rules or regulations or consistently push their children beyond their capabilities. Um, you know, it's the dad who always wants his kid to score the goals and all of the games and that, you know, and you're just pushing your kid, and no matter what he does, he's never good enough. That's, that's unreasonable. Fault finding. Um, no matter how well your child does, he could have done better. If he gets a 99, well, why'd you miss one? You know, what's wrong with you? Um, I know some parents that are always finding fault with their kids. They're never, they never do what's right. You know, they can always, always just do a little bit better. Um, neglect, that's a big one. How do you neglect your kids? Well, instead of training them, make them watch TV to get out of your hair. Inconsistency, probably the number one discipline rule is being inconsistent. If it's wrong today, it was wrong yesterday, and it's going to probably be wrong tomorrow. 
but a lot of times our discipline is based on how we feel. You know, if we've had a bad hair day, you know, the kids got to watch it. But, um, you know, if things went well, you know, they get away with more. You need to be consistent with them. Um, Overprotection, that, that'll drive a child nuts, you know, where their mother's always, you know, you're going to fall down, you're going to bruise your knee. That's part of life. You know, it's not going to kill the kid to have a bruise. Um, favoritism, if you like one child over another, that's very bad. Discouragement. You know, no matter how, you know, your child wants to be something, say, oh, you're too dumb to be that. That's a real way to discourage your child. Um, stereotyping, how's, how's it, why can't you act like your brother? Why can't you be good like the kid next door? You know, that'll, that'll really frustrate your child. Um, bitter words or physical abuse, when you, you should never yell at your kids. I don't believe in yelling at kids. Thank you for listening. This podcast was made in part with creative consulting and production assistance by Third Mass Studio. For your production needs, send an email to thirdmassstudio at gmail.com. For other lectures in this series and more biblical media resources, visit theopenword.org.